Good morning. Welcome to Central Baptist Church this morning. We're so glad that you have joined us for worship uh, this morning here on this, uh, this beautiful day. Uh, not nearly as cold as it has been lately. Uh, you'll uh, find in the pews beside you uh, friendship pads. We'd invite you to take those and to pass those down the row, fill that out with any information that you'd like to provide for us. And that's a way for us to get to know each other a little better this morning and greet one another during the passing of the peace a little bit later. Um, this, uh, this past week, as we were in the throes of winter and kids were at home from school, it got me thinking about uh, wintertime experiences and times when I wasn't inside uh, with the heater uh, and the space heater and the blanket. Um, when I was in college, I had some friends from high school. We got back together and we decided to go hiking out at the gorge. Um, and we went over Christmas break and uh, it was going to be a wonderful time. We got all our stuff together and went backpacking. And as we were walking in, uh, it started snowing and it got pretty cold. We didn't have apps on our phones to check the weather all the time then, so we didn't pay attention to how cold it was going to be, and it was really cold. We got out our, 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 blank, our, uh, our sleeping bags. We didn't take a tent. We didn't need a tent, and um, we, uh, I'd borrowed a, a nice bag from one of my friends that you know was really, really nice, and then our other friend pulled out his sleeping bag, and it was his G.I. Joe sleeping bag from when he was a kid, and uh, it was going to be a cold night. <laughs> And the fire wasn't starting really good because things were wet because of the snow. Uh, so we ended up kind of a rotation through the good sleeping bags and the bad sleeping bag throughout the evening. And, you know, about 10 o'clock the next morning, I could feel my toes again. And at that point in time, it was amazing what we could see around us. There was a beautiful uh, sheen to everything with the snow and with the ice. The river was rumbling down, the ice was flowing across the top, and there was this waterfall that was jumping off with these huge icicles and somehow pellets of ice that were forming in piles at the bottom. And it was this glorious experience. We had to go through some difficult times to get there. I've been reading a lot of Mary Oliver recently uh, in her, her passing of the last week, and uh, in one of her poems she says this, Instructions for Living a Life, Pay attention. Be astonished and tell about it. So sometimes it's easy to tell. We're good at that. But the paying attention is hard for us sometimes. So as we think this morning about silence, the times we need to sit down and to be quiet and to listen, hopefully we can take that into account and be aware of the wonderful and glorious presence of God that is surging in all things around us uh, and calling us uh, to goodness, to love, and to peace with each other, with our fellow man. So let's worship together.
Good morning. morning. Won't you please stand as you are able and join me in the call to worship? Come, hear the call of God. Speak of me to my people, says the Lord. The Lord will give us the words and always be with us as we speak, so our words might be full of truth and justice and love. If you'll pray with me. Dear God, thank you for being a God who listens to all of us, rich, poor, weak, powerful, lost, needy, broken. Thank you for being present as we come together and give us courage, please, to listen, to hear, and to act on your word. Help us as we seek to be your arms in a troubled world, and may all we do serve to glorify you. In your name we pray, amen.
Our Hebrew scripture today comes from Psalm 71, 1 through 6. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from my birth. It was you who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. For the word of God that works its way into us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O God of all the earth and of all people, we are grateful for this morning, for the warmer air and the welcoming spirit of this place. We are thankful for your vision to share life together, and we recognize our joint effort to bring reconciliation to those in our world cut off from community. And we confess that our days are not always filled with compassion towards others, for the constant noise around us has taken over our thoughts and has, has our minds contemplating somewhat trivial matters. The loud mouths of our time have distracted us from the work of redemption, and the chatter swells so great that the cries of injustice are not heard. This morning we come with quiet and stillness to recenter our hearts and our minds and our actions on the sacred ways of Christ, to renew our source of love and peace and hope in the world. We come to hear the shouts of those in our city and our world. May we hear those who are oppressed by systems and rhetoric that makes them less than whole people. May we hear the shivers of those left out in the cold, struggling to survive harsh weather. May we hear the laments of the mournful, fraught with grief. May we hear the cries and recommit ourselves in this community to the continued work of wholeness. We come today to hear ourselves, to free our minds of this swirling noise. We come to sit and return to a contemplative spirit. May we hear once again our belovedness as daughters and sons of the living God. May we hear the peace that enables each of us to be our true selves. May we hear that we accept it as who we are 
And this morning, we come as one body. May we hear the words of encouragement. May we hear words of love. May we hear words of affirmation. For our prayer, O oh God, is that we, as we experience the people in this place and the proclamation of your grace, our hope in the wondrous ways of Christ will carry us on. We pray all this in the name of the Christ. Amen.
Dear God, we contemplate for a moment the awesome responsibility, the awesome challenge, the awesome opportunity to be your agents in this world, that there are people who will not know of your love until we love them. They will not know of your gifts until we give them. They will not know your heart until they see our heart. We pray, God, that you will embolden us and empower us and give us not only courage to do, but also joyful and willing hearts to do and to give and to be your people, to be your partners in this world. Amen. Please be seated.
As you are able, I invite you to rise with me now for the hearing of the gospel lesson, today found in the fourth chapter of the gospel of Luke. Listen. Then he, Jesus, began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you do at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up and drove him out of town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they may hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. For the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. There are times when a sermon can go horribly wrong. I've preached more than my share and... If you've been in church life for very long, you've probably heard a few as well. I had a roommate in seminary who told me about the first sermon he ever preached when he was in college in Tennessee. He invited his family, his friends, his girlfriend seated right on the front row. He was preaching about overcoming guilt. And what he wanted to say was, even when it's not your fault. Well, the delicacy of this hour will not allow me to give you the exact quote, but you'll have to do it in your mind, replacing the UL with the letter R. And so wanting to say, even when it's not your fault, he actually said something so different. Immediately, he realized the tongue-tying difficulty that he had put himself in and what a terribly embarrassing moment he had provided for that congregation. And so, as a means of correction, this time, trying to say it more slowly and carefully and exactly, wouldn't you know, he fell into the same pit again. And said the exact same thing a second time. Right there in God's house. 
from the pulpit. His girlfriend turned bright red. His best friend sitting on the center aisle was shaking so hard he almost fell out into the aisle. His parents came to him afterwards with as much care as they could provide and said, Son, you may want to consider another line of work. Now, in Jesus' sermon we just heard from the Gospels, things did go horribly wrong. But it was not a mistake. It was not an accident or an embarrassment, at least not from the preacher's failings. Some context. We are at the early part of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus was baptized by his second cousin, John. A moment when Jesus, the Son of God, completely identifies with well-intended but often frustrated, sinful, and fragile humanity. That this group that Jesus came to save would be a group that he participates in fully as a part of their own experience. And a voice comes from heaven in support of this humbling participation of Jesus with all of us, saying words I believe each single person on earth needs to hear from God's own lips. You are beloved. For I take this theological position that the gospel ministry is about how in Christ We are all beloved, without prejudice. But more on that in a moment. After baptism, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert to spend 40 days and nights there. And there, in solitude and silence in the wilderness, Jesus faces the tempter. Each moment trying to renew And ground his complete trust in God's loving providence. Even if it will mean physical suffering. Or delayed timings. Or the misunderstandings and contempt of those he will soon minister with. And all these frustrations and temptations are presented to Jesus first in silence. Now he's back in his hometown delivering a sermon. And it's really going well. Everyone's applauding his eloquence. The text says that they were all amazed that the words coming from his mouth. I've been at this 30 years. I've yet to have anyone say that about one of my sermons. Except my mother. So what goes wrong? This incredible moment, hometown boy doing so good, preaching this incredible sermon, people are applauding it with their own words of praise. Notice there's a dialogue going on in that synagogue. Well, Jesus had just finished reading the scripture lesson. Isaiah's prophecy 
declaring a year of favor, a year of jubilee, where the blind will receive their sight, where the captives will discover release, the oppressed will experience relief, the poor of the world will find consolation. It sounds good, right? Wonderful message. Except this group said, now, Jesus, do for us what we have heard that you accomplished in Capernaum. Now, if you've been reading the gospel to this point, that should come as a bit of a surprise to you. Because we don't have any recorded miracles of Jesus at Capernaum at this point. Perhaps it means that Jesus did a lot of good that never got recorded in the Gospels. That the wonderful things that we have heard about his life and his ministry are snapshots of a whole life lived with doing many wonderful and good things that was never acknowledged. And the Nazarenes, Jesus' home folks, we're thinking, well, now it's our turn. You know, we helped raise you and helped get you to where you are today. We sponsored you and fed you, loved you. And if there's any good things that you're going to do in this world, well, we're definitely the ones that should have them. And it's at this point precisely that things get dicey. And seem to fall off tracks. Jesus brings up two stories. From the prophetic witness of Elijah. And his successor, Elisha. In one story. Elijah helped a widow from Sidon. In the other, Elisha helped a military leader from Syria. Now, neither the widow or the general were a part of the people of Israel. They were outsiders. They belonged to the group that everyone hated. Sidon was full of unclean Gentiles, and the general had led a war against Jesus' own people. They were leaders of the opposition, folks that lived out on the periphery, they were from towns that we would have nothing good to say about. Like Knoxville or Gainesville. Sorry, Mark D'Alba. He's a Florida fan. Or worse. They were from the backwater the bottom of the barrel, countries nobody would want to visit or help, proclaiming religions or no religions that make them undesirable, deviants who had no share in good news, people that surely if God had any respect as we have respect would not Offer some kind of blessing. Wow. 
Jesus knows how to bring home a point, right? That God's goodness, God's gospel was going to be preached and lived to the boundaries and the edges, to the marginalized, to the disinherited, to the powerless, to the poor, to the forgotten, to the rejected, to the foreigner, to the stranger. And that congregation that just a few moments previously were filled with glowing comments of appreciation and affirmation were now, the text says, filled with rage. That's turning on a dime. And by force, they pull Jesus out of the synagogue and take him to a high place and try to throw him down a cliff. They're going to shut him up once and for all. Acting out that very last temptation that Luke told us about. About Jesus being thrown from a high pinnacle and having people still embrace his message. Hmm. Well, we don't know how Jesus escaped. But soon he's back in the fishing village of Capernaum. Performing his miracles and building his team of disciples. Now what does this story have to teach us and tell us? about being God's people, about seeking to do God's will, about offering God's favor. For it seems to me that we are being met with two competing images as an American society. One image is to circle the wagons. The other image is to widen the circle. And these two impulses are driving two distinct communities within 21st century American Christianity. The first group I'm calling the gospel protectors. They appear to be threatened by the stranger, the foreigner, the person who is different, the person that they may classify as deviant or evil. It seems their danger of protecting the gospel is doing so to the point of constraining the gospel of its welcoming power. They sound to me like the ancient Nazarenes. That the good news of liberation is for us and us only. And the beloved are those we can squeeze into our mold and to live to our definitions and to do things according to our expectations. The other group... I might call the gospel proclaimers. They declare the love of God for all. Remembering that they too once were far from God's goodness and lived outside of God's blessing. That they offer this gospel message liberally, sowing seeds where it may not grow or where it may not take root. Willing to help those who may even abuse their generosity. Those who are willing to risk inclusion and welcome. Even if others criticize them for that positive, welcoming posture. And both groups are challenged. The gospel proclaimers perhaps challenged by becoming too easy, too easily swayed by social trends or accommodations, 
and not realizing the spiritual struggle is living freely in a world of repentance and open forgiveness and a grace discovered richly in a faith through and with Jesus. The gospel protectors run the risk of making the gospel sound only good to them. The gospel proclaimers run the risk of having no good news preached at all. But somehow, somehow we are called to be people of faithfulness. To take this message of liberality and love and inclusion and be okay with how it may put us at odds with others. To be okay with being accused of being naive or idealistic. To be okay with being called names as others have been called names. To be okay with being misinterpreted or accused of abandoning this core essence of the gospel we love. All because we're willing to trade inclusion over traditional conventionality. So how are you going to do this? If you are willing to walk in this path of welcome and inclusion, of acceptance, of liberality, how are you going to do that? How is it possible? How did Jesus do it? How did Jesus risk being abandoned and rejected by even the people that knew him best? How did Jesus constantly preach a message that so often was seen not as words of life, but challenges of destruction? How did Jesus survive when it looked like what he was presenting was not a new way, but a way that was going to come to a cataclysmic end? As we recognize it will in betrayal and arrest and death. How are you going to do that? Well, I think we have to take another page from Jesus' ministry for us today. Hearing the wider story that we've already mentioned. For Jesus does absolutely nothing in his ministry in word or deed without providing a foundation first of solitude, prayer, and silence. Not only did Jesus spend 40 days in the wilderness confronting all these possibilities, but we learned that he frequently retreated from the crowds and Jesus would find himself rising early to get away from the disciples so that he could have time alone with God. In the silence of the heart, Mother Teresa says, God speaks. And Brennan Manning is clear about this message that we all need to hear, who writes in Abba's Child, silent solitude makes true speech possible and personal. If I am not in touch with my own belovedness, then I cannot touch the sacredness of others. If I am estranged from myself, 
I am likewise a stranger to others. This means to me that you cannot offer the beloved blessings of God unless you are totally and completely convinced that you are the recipient of God's powerful declaration. You are my beloved. And once that part of the story is in place, for you, it becomes so much easier to share. For you're not trying to protect something. You're not trying to hoard something. You're not trying to suggest there's not enough of it. You're simply admitting that this gift that has been given to me, I freely give to you. In my acknowledgement that you too are a part of the beloved community. You yourself are beloved. So Jesus comes to the lepers, the widows, the outsiders. Jesus comes to those who are vulnerable and weak, sometimes wicked. And Jesus' whole ministry will be for the least of these over and over and over again. Why? Because they are the ones that are so quickly forgotten. They are the ones so quickly overlooked. They are the ones so quickly rejected because the world has already rejected them. As we look into this Lenten season, I call us to two twin spiritual practices. The practice of listening, which must be done in silence. And the practice of discernment, which comes from this deep reflection upon the will and purpose of God revealed in the witness of Jesus. And in order for us to enter into that blessing then we must determine how we will unplug and unwind and disengage and disentangle. Not as a means of escape, but as a means of re-participation. That the world will pick at us and pull at us and stretch us and run us. And we must grow this root deeper still into the beloved identification that Christ so freely offers. It's the battle we must face in the wilderness of our solitude to be faced over and over again, if not daily, freely given for all to hear and to receive this love relationship we share with God in Christ. And as an act of faith, we hear it. We believe it. And we put it into practice all so that we can share it with others. If that becomes a possibility, well, we're less likely to say the wrong things or do the wrong things. And the sermons, believe it or not, get better. And our hearts of love burn brighter and our knowledge of God's will becomes clearer and our advocacy for the marginalized becomes more effective.
Jesus preached a sermon. It may not have been well received in Nazareth, but I certainly hope it's well received by us. Let us pray. Now, O oh God, bring your spirit close by so that we might receive your love to believe it deeply in the heart and to practice it widely in the world. Amen. Our closing hymn, I the Lord of Sea and Sky, a wonderful hymn that can be sung with gusto. So do that and respond as we stand to sing hymn 69, I the Lord of Sea and Sky. Let us stand and respond.
Some of you may have noticed throughout the service that we have had on display a talith, a Jewish prayer shawl normally given to young uh, boys and girls during their bar or bat mitzvahs uh, when they become uh, a part of the Jewish community by faith. Uh, this particular talith we'll talk about next week, uh, but it is soiled. The tassels have been cut from the fringes and there are soiled marks on it that we will talk about next week. So be aware of that and be ready for that uh, service as we think about um, uh, what was uh, this part of a service on the uh, shooting in Pittsburgh at the synagogue and this Talith that was uh, remembered as a part of that tragedy. So we'll be talking about that next week. And then two weeks, uh, if you have other questions, because, you know, I'm a Baptist preacher, I'm not likely to get all the Jewish stuff right, you will have opportunity to speak with David Wirtschafter, who is the rabbi at Adath Temple, uh, who will be providing that morning's sermon. And that will be on February the 17th. Um, the reason, in part, he is here is because I will not be. For I have learned that there is room on the bus. And I will be traveling with the First Presbyterian Church of Lexington to Selma and Montgomery, Alabama on that weekend as they take a trip to the Legacy Museum that just recently opened in Montgomery. Uh, we will walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge that you'll know was made famous by Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and uh, we will then be worshiping at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church um, where Dr. King was. And uh, leading part of that service will be uh, Everett McCorvey and the Spiritual Ensemble. Ensemble. Uh, I mention that because there's still room on the bus. <laughs> uh, there's about six places left. I was waiting to see if there was room for me to go. Uh, you will have to get your own hotel reservations, but if you're interested in that trip, which would be uh, February 15th, 16th, 17th, and 18th over President's Day weekend, uh, you're welcome to go. Um, and just let me know if you're interested, and I will send you the email information, but we need to let you make a decision quickly uh, because that trip is coming quickly as well. All right. Good stuff coming. Don't miss it. Now, make you bow for the benediction. Depart this place in the light of God's love, revealed in the life and witness of Jesus Christ our Lord, secured by the power of the resurrection, and granted by the Spirit of God. Go from this place to share the gospel in word and in deed, to be the gospel to a lost and lonely world. Amen.